0: Welcome to The Readdown, your weekly progressive political hot take by the Stonewall Democratic Club. On this episode, we will be reading down some hope through polling and recent primaries, the latest on COVID-19 in the United States, and a damning report that the Trump administration ignored intelligence on Russia paying a bounty to kill U.S. troops. I'm Ryan Basham. My co-hosts are Alex Mohajer, Jonathan Welch, and our special guest panelist, my dear friend, Tanya Perez. I really, I can't wait for us to have a live audience for this, you guys. It's going to be really great to do these intros. Um, <laughs> but barring that, um, let's uh, let's get started, shall we? Let's talk about some big Democratic energy, celebrating the biggest Democratic flexes of the week. Uh, I obviously the most uh, exciting thing. Well, I say obviously, to me the most exciting thing this week is polling. Joe Biden leads by 14 uh, in a New York Times Siena poll of the I, I mean I mean he's there are ser- there are several states where he's leading by more than 5 points and if he only won in addition to the states that Hillary won, if he only won the states that uh in addition to that that he polls in more than 5%, he he would just win the election. That's it. Take all the states that he he's polling better than 5 and he would win. So let's talk about it. What are you excited about about these polls? What's what are you what's popping out to you?
1: Well, I'm not excited about the polls and I'll tell you why, because in 2016 and I don't know about you guys, but I have a little plenty of 2016 trauma and PTSD. Uh, but, you know, in 2016, Hillary was ahead, too, and she was ahead by wide margins. They thought they had this in the bag. And when it push came to shove, you know, there was a lot of interference. There was a lot of last second. People forget the Comey. Letter to Congress was in October. The uh, the WikiLeaks drop that was in October and well started in July and went through October. So if we we're going to rewind to 2016, at this point in 2016, the Hillary Clinton 33,000 deleted emails bit controversy hadn't even happened yet. So there's a lot of time left before this election and a lot of Republican shenanigans that can still happen. So we have to keep activated and keep engaged on this as if our lives depend on it because it. Their lives do depend on it. And th- I, I really think that Trump and co are going to pull out all the stops and do everything they can to interfere with the outcome of the election. I believe that wholly.
2: So I totally agree with that. I believe that we have to pretend almost as though Joe Biden is down in the polls and that we have to boost him up. But I. There are a lot of differences between 2016 and now. So 2016, we had very low-quality state-by-state polling, so we weren't getting a very accurate snapshot of what that looked like. Also, Clinton's lead in 2016 was a lot smaller at this point than Biden's lead. In fact, Biden's lead is bigger than a lead that we've seen in any election where an incumbent is being challenged and the challenger is in the lead. So it's a good position to be in. It's also a million and a half years away from the actual election. We have 120 days, which sounds scary, but also so much much can happen. Like Alex was saying with the letter that happened, like right before the election. So anything can really kind of jump in. But I do think that those polling numbers are also reflective of just how disdainful people feel about the Trump presidency. I mean, look at where we are right now, economically, with the pandemic, everything that's happened, he has had zero response. And these poll numbers are a reflection of that.
0: Tanya, I want to hear from you, because you're in Florida. You've been locked down in Florida. So and, and it's a battleground state that Biden is up in right now. Um, and I know that you are like not leaving the house unless you're actually in a bubble. So but can you tell tell us about what you're experiencing in Florida? <laughs>
3: I mean, I'm in um, Trump nation and, um, you know, the background on me is that, you know, my dad was a Republican elected official um, many moves back who then has since um, gone Democratic and also then he is, you know, he is just an independent. So Come on, dad. Up, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, it's, it, you know, I mean, it's pictures of, of the Bushes with my family is, is kind of, you know, wh- where I grew up. So in a lot of ways, we're the we're the uh, we're literally the brown people in our community, and I think that um, I can go out when I do. Um, it is flags in our faces. It is um, it is very much saying that Trump will win this. I do believe Trump could easily win Florida. Um, I am um, personally look at biden's campaign and i feel like um it's he's walking on eggshells so i think everybody who can mobilize should mobilize this is not a time to get lazy i know we're in massive fatigue from the pandemic and from all the the movements and the the protests and marches um florida is no exception. And I think that if especially with the huge Latinx community down here who um, who have been time and time again, been thrown under the bus, if we can mobilize those members, there might be a small squeaky chance for Biden to win.
2: Yeah, and it, it goes into what I've always said about Biden, that he may not be perfect but there's an elder statesman quality to him and even though we have a lot of things that we kind of would change about him he wasn't uh, he wasn't my first choice and i know that for a lot of people they feel that he wasn't their first choice either but we have to really find what we love about joe biden and we have to sing that from the rooftop like and it's up to all of us so like you were saying tanya it's it's work that has to be done it's mobilization And we have to really fight hard because he's not going to win this for himself.
0: You know, there's a there's another key difference, though, in in that I that, that I just keep bringing myself back to, which is his favorability ratings right now are much, much, much better than Hillary's were. People just didn't like her. They never really liked her. And, and, you know, that was, that was as a result of a concerted campaign over several decades on the part of the the right and the GOP, just trying to kind of sully the water for her and like be, sabotage her as much as, and it started in the nineties, you know, uh, people, yeah. you know, people started to People don't give her enough credit for, you know, the Children's Health Insurance Program, which is um, socialized medicine for children. That's something that she pushed through Congress as First Lady. And that was when they were like, oh, man, we we have to ruin this woman because she could hold elected office one day and she could really kick our butts. And so that's when it really started. Um, and, and by the time we got to uh, 2016, you know, you know the, the it was baked in. But with Joe, for some reason, I, I don't know what it is. And I, I'm sure that someone's going to write dissertations on this later. but. Uh, for some reason, he is just inherently likable. What's that about? I can tell you what it's about. Joe Biden is a man and Hillary Clinton is a
1: woman yes, and we have amen, an endemic amen. misogynistic system that is <laughs> yes. extremely misogynist to women. And there are studies on this that when a woman woman seeks power, that we are innately uncomfortable with it. We cast her as a as evil, as attention, uh, power grabbing. And that is the key difference. And I also want to object to the entire premise of Hillary Clinton is not likable. FYI, yes. Hillary Clinton ran for elected office six times. In the course of her career, she won the popular vote. Every single time, including in the 2008 Democratic primary, she won more votes than any other presidential candidate in American history, second only to Barack Obama, whose 2012 total she tied. So I reject the notice that she the the notion that she's not likable. And I think that that in and of itself and we all subscribe to it is the right wing slander campaign that you're talking about. She's not likable. She's just not likable. We regurgitate it. And I want to just caution everyone against accepting as true these kinds of notions that come from right-wing propaganda media and and uh, special interests meant to dissuade us from supporting candidates that are superb like secretary clinton and by the way a far superior candidate to joe biden but we'll do we'll, oh God, we'll do what yeah. we yeah.
0: can and that's 100%. all i'll say uh, sorry maybe totally. it would be better maybe should, instead did. of saying i'm not likable maybe just not liked Like, it's not fair, but it is fact Tomato, tomato, Ryan. What's the difference? (laughs) I don't know. Well, the difference, I mean, the the, the thing is, I agree. I mean, I was an early Hillary supporter, and I really, 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 I mean, I really got behind her then. I'm still behind her now. I kind of wish she had jumped, uh, part of me wished she had jumped in again. Um, But then I also think about, you know, what is it that made Margaret Thatcher win in the UK? Um, And Hillary, you know, lose the electoral college in the US. Like, you know, I mean, one of my favorite movies is Iron Lady, where, where Meryl Streep played Margaret Thatcher. And they did, they talked Academy a lot about award all the things that she did to be, to differentiate herself as a, a female politician in a positive way. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't think they're directly comparable, but why is it that someone like Margaret Thatcher can win in the eighties in in the UK and Hillary Clinton didn't win? I just, I don't know. I, I just think it's I mean, it's weird. you're
3: talking about America. Yeah. I mean, Erica is like, we're still having problems who wants to wear a mask and who doesn't. And you know, and the fact that like, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, we're having a, a huge uprising of, you know, Black Lives Matter. And we haven't I, I mean, we're regressing. We're not we're not moving forward. And the the people are coming out. I mean, it's it's it blows my mind that we still have to have this conversation whether she's like well or not. I loved her. Me too, I was 100% yeah, behind her.
1: People talked about the enthusiasm gap, and I was like, that is so false because I've yeah. seen plenty yeah. of people were very enthusiastic about her. And and just personally speaking, maybe this is anecdotal, but I saw a lot of mourning happening out after 2016. I mourned for mm-hmm. a long, yeah. long time, and you it know, wasn't just because Trump won, guilt. it was because I felt that Hillary,
2: yeah,
1: deserved it, and she, um, you know,
2: she deserved it. i am a very cold person and i don't (laughs) show a lot of emotion um i i get what what i've called in the past the wave of emotion where something takes me my eyes well up a little bit and i swallow it and i'm fine and that's how i've lived my life i've cried a few times when my parents have died and my boyfriends and i have broken up and that's That's about it. When Hillary Clinton lost, I cried and I cried and cried and cried with my boyfriend in bed at the time, in bed, like on his shoulder, just like sobbing. And I tried to get to sleep and I woke up in the middle of the night with like chills and started crying again. And I remembered that that was the same feeling that I had when my mom died. I felt Mm. this sense of loss, like I knew. I knew it was just over that we had this opportunity and it was completely over. We would never get it again. And I want to go back to what we were saying about, um, about sexism and how it plays the role. And Tanya saying, rightfully saying that we're in America and that's what makes things different. Let's never forget where this all started. And it was when Hillary Clinton was about to become first lady and the GOP and the media pitted her against Barbara Bush in a chocolate chip cookie baking contest because she said she didn't want to sit at home and bake cookies she had career aspirations and for some reason in america in 1992 that made her the devil and they painted her that way and it just seeped into everyone's brains so much so that by 2016 people couldn't explain why they didn't like her they just didn't like her and it's like well i could tell you why
0: (laughs) and it goes back to that
2: 25
0: years of a a smear campaign. And that that situation, what we felt that night, what each of us went through, we need to really keep that in mind and remember it. And like hold close to that visceral reaction because we could have that experience again. Yeah.
3: I don't want to drink a bottle of Prosecco like I did that night. (laughs) A whole bottle?
0: I was
1: on the floor of the Javits Center (laughs) in Manhattan at her election night party. So just FYI. I definitely I would I was there to watch it happen in person and it's still to this day one of the most and I've seen some things in my life and it's to this day it's still one of the most painful memories of my life. So yes, it's very fresh and that's why I'm very as we we're talking about these approval ratings and the the polls, I am not at all comfortable with the polls. I don't think any of us should be because we thought Hillary had it in the bag too.
0: Look well, at that, well, tying well, right back not... to the topic. Yes. And let's, let's, let's then talk about actual, um, electoral returns then. So there are several races where, um, establishment either established, uh, sitting, uh, office holders or establishment candidates are being like really effectively challenged by super progressive folks. So there's Elliot Engel, who is probably going to lose this, um, opportunity to run in the general to Jamal Bowen. There's, um, Carolyn Maloney, who is probably going to lose to Suraj Patel. Um, and then also it looks like they just called the race in Kentucky between between um, uh, a Booker and McGrath for McGrath, but just by a hair. So can we just talk about um, progressive folks challenging more established centrist Democrats? And is that a good idea for general elections? Like, wh- what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's healthy, right? Like primary challenges are healthy and having a good, healthy primary contest where we're actually talking about ideas and what we want to stand for is the way to go. The only difference is once the race is called, it's incumbent upon everybody who's involved to band together so that we can get that person elected. And I think that that's, that's a concern that I'm seeing. I'm not seeing as much uh, kumbayaing after the fact, as I would like to see, as I would feel more comfortable seeing. So especially Kentucky is a really great example, because I would really love to see the Booker people and the McGrath people work together to get Amy elected against Mitch McConnell. But I think that there's a lot of there's a big gulf of policy difference between the two of them. And I don't know if there's going to be enough time for that to suss itself out.
3: I think it's exciting to see that there is actually the young blood and progressive blood um, with all of these campaigns. I think it's important because we do have to um, entice a lot of voters who weren't showing up in the polls uh, four years ago, even two years ago. I also think that it might just take some time for people not to just come kumbaya but just going ahead and going, okay, we're getting hit by so much trauma. And how do we? gain that momentum to then lift that up. I think, I think that there's several, we are living in several countries in this one country. There's the people who are going to see that, that going and voting and being a community member and active community member is very important and it's vital. And then there's going to be still the people who be like, ah, but I'm not attracted to that. And we have to go for the people who are saying that and, Get them over to the side to say, this is so important. This is our, you know, Alex, you said it, you know, this, our lives are depending on this and it's going to take so many ways to get in. And it's those people who are going to have to go ahead and wake up. How do we do that?
1: Well, look presidential politics are different than down ticket races. The presidential race last year was won by the Democratic candidate. It was the Electoral College that spoiled it and third-party voters in three swing states that caused us to lose the election. Now, in a Senate race like in Kentucky, people either want Mitch McConnell gone or they don't. And so that is the unifying force, and that has to be what people unify around. Amy McGrath, you know, my, my feelings about her are that I'm curious as to why someone who's raised such a great deal of money had such a close primary race. And at the end I of the day, she won. And now, yes, everyone has to rally behind her because they have the common goal of removing Mitch McConnell, regardless of whether or not we agree 100 percent of the time on policy points. We don't have the privilege or the luxury that the Republicans do of voting in block together, no matter what, because we're all rich white guys, primarily. You know, and they're protecting their interests no matter what we saw. They'll vote for Trump in the 60 plus 60 plus million votes because anything but a Democrat, you know, keep white people in power and keep the white hegemonic, you know, rule in power. And that's the that's the M.O. There's a power struggle and it's racial and it's misogynistic and it is real. And I think if our side has to unite no matter what behind the candidates, up and down ticket, if we have any hope of winning back the
0: government? You know, I think I think we have, uh, I do think we have hope of winning back the government. I think you're right about that. But I don't think that Kentucky is the hot seat that people, every two years, there's a Senate race up in Kentucky and people think this time we're going to knock off one of the Republicans from Kentucky. And it never happens. I normally root for the progressive, but I think, I think uh, geography matters and population matters. I grew up just over the border from Kentucky and Tennessee. And I would, I was rooting for Amy McGrath, not because I align with her politically, but because I didn't think a progressive um, black man could win statewide in Kentucky to a federal office. I'm still not, I still don't think, because honestly, there are a lot of racist people in the middle um, in Kentucky. And there are a lot of people in Kentucky who are in the middle and low information voters, but they are going to believe uh, just enough of that propaganda from the GOP propaganda machine uh, that they're going to stick with McConnell for fear of, here, look, let me put it to you this way. When I was a kid, you could not win an uh, a federal office in Tennessee unless you ran ads that talked about how pro life you were. Couldn't happen. And Kentucky is the same kind of place. It doesn't matter what, um, you know, if you, it, yes, universal health care would be incredible for Kentucky. And If you don't run ads about being pro-life in Kentucky for a federal office, you're probably going to lose. And I think Amy McGrath might have a chance because she's moderate-ish, but I I just, I I don't have, I'm not holding out for, for Kentucky. I am excited though about North Carolina. North Carolina is a seat, an office that I'm watching. So it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, go for it.
2: Well, you know, I, I think that, um, I, I've been on the Amy McGrath train for a while because I, for the same reasons, I think that she would win statewide in Kentucky. She plays well to that state. Uh, but Charles Booker, what a fantastic candidate. That's why yes. it came so close because he's so damn good and he he meets the moment. So, mm. you know, you have Amy McGrath who who is trying to reach out to voters who would vote for Trump and she's like blatantly very... Um, conciliatory about that kind of thing. And you have Booker who's boldly progressive and he's meeting the current moment. So I, you know, I think that there's a future for him, Um, but I'll agree with you that can, you know, LOL at maybe any of either of them, ever beating Mitch McConnell. That's uh, almost an insurmountable hill. Um, But I do think that if we're going to look at the South and some opportunities, North Carolina and even South Carolina are more likely than Kentucky. Mm.
1: Well, I just want to throw in there, though, that Mitch McConnell McConnell is, if not one of the most unpopular U.S. senator in his state. So it's not insurmountable. But the question is, we've mounted Democrats in that state, like Alison Lundgren-Grimes, who everyone thought had a chance and she fell very short. And she was a moderate way who pandered. Short. Way short. And she she's a moderate who pandered to Republican voters and it didn't work out for her. So maybe the answer is running a progressive who's just going to throw a wrench into the system and reinvigorate people. Maybe it draws out voters who are just really sitting at home in Kentucky because they're like, well, we've got this shitbag Mitch McConnell and we're not going to, You know, know, we're never going to get rid of them.
2: Uh, That's (laughs) so funny. Well, maybe that's the answer, though, right?
1: Exactly. I was actually hoping Charles Booker might win.
2: (laughs) I was, too. I I, too. I may be a McGrath fan because I think she'll play well in Kentucky, but I'm a bigger Booker fan. And maybe the answer is that Booker works with McGrath in order to
0: pull her left and to pull their coalitions. I hope so. I hope so. And you know what? I also progressive people have an easier time in states like Kentucky winning a statewide office than a federal office. I would like to see him tee himself up to run for governor when the current Democrat Um, is termed out. I think they have term limits in Kentucky. Um, Also, he's super young. And, you know, every four years, the electorate gets a little bit more brown, a little bit more progressive. And, uh, you know, it may not have been his time this time, but he absolutely could be a senator from Kentucky in, you know, eight or 12 years when the electorate's a little bit more diverse um, more young people are old enough to vote in that state and paying attention. Um, I mean, there's a bright, bright, bright future for him. And I hope that he, um, doesn't take, you know, some kind of sideline job that isn't actually in elected office. Cause I, I, the more, the more notches you earn in your, on your elected office chart, I think the easier it is to win those big offices. And I would love to see him be Senator or governor someday, if not now. Um, and, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, also quick thing before we move on to a little bit of a different topic, um, do we think that D.C. is actually going to end up being a state at any point? I mean, the House just passed a resolution to make it the 51st state. Do we think it could happen, like, say, in the next year?
1: If we win the Senate, it could. If yeah, we win the so? Senate, we could. And, I, yeah, if we win the Senate, because Democrats sure would love to have two more senators who vote for them. Mm-hmm. And Democrats have 100%. a vested interest in adding another couple Supreme Court justices and adding a couple senators to the panel. But the entire idea of the U.S. Senate is extremely racist in and of itself and was created to and undemocratic. It's really ludicrous if you think about it, that a state like Rhode Island, who's got no people in it, has the same amount of voting power in the U.S. (laughs) Senate as California, who's got the majority of the, you know, the the country's population. So I think that, yes, we should make D.C. a state and we have Democrats have a vested interest in doing so. And if we can win back the Senate, which is extremely important if we want to pass uh, elections reform bills um, that get the corporate money out of our, our government, like there's a whole bunch of reforms that need to happen immediately to fit clean up after Trump. And we need the Senate. And if we get the Senate, yeah, we could probably do it. If we don't, we're going to be in a stalemate with uh, another fractured government, you know, with a, either a Republican or Democrat president, but a Democratic House. Hopefully we hold on to the House. And I think that the, the signs are that we will. But, you know, yes, we need to win all houses of the of the federal government if we want to make anything happen. And that includes look, the D.C. stateship.
0: Look, look, I just want to speak up for the five point seven people in Rhode Island with a baby on the way. How dare you, sir? Um, I think.
2: Look, oh, listen! I'm from <laughs> Massachusetts. Rhode Island is just that thing under our armpit. That is, they're a small state. Ro- okay? Rhode Island.
0: Rhode Island is to Massachusetts what Australia is to the U.S. Um, <laughs> Rhode
1: Island lives matter.
0: <laughs> well, what, what New Zealand is We love. If,
2: if we have listeners in Rhode Island, I love you.
0: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> once we can
2: do a live show, we're coming to Providence. We
0: are. And but... if you can please join the Stonewall Democratic Club for 25 bucks a year at stonewalldims.org forward slash join. I had strep throat in um... Providence.
1: It was not a exp- enjoyable experience. But uh, I'm sure Rhode Island is fine. I mean,
0: You broke up when you said that, and I'm kind of glad you did, because it sounded like you said something about strep strep throat in P-Town. I
1: had strep throat (laughs) in Providence, Rhode Island. When I was driving up the Eastern seaboard, had to get a motel room there where I didn't have health insurance because I was just graduated from law school and we didn't have Obamacare yet. And I was literally dying in that motel room and begging the motel clerk to, to find me some sort of free clinic I could go to to get, you know, some sort of help. And uh, I survived, turns out, spoiler alert.
0: <laughs> well, and we're so glad you did. Um, okay, so... Um... We could do this for a minute, but speaking of um, diseases uh, that people can get and Ryan, uh, possibly not do from, this publicly, can we talk about what? I'm not talking about your death with glee, I promise. Never um, mind, <laughs> you didn't get it. You were talking about diseases, and I
1: was saying you don't need to do this publicly, but okay.
0: Oh, 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 excuse me, sorry. Yeah,
2: wow, um, what, a, what a breakup. Death uh, with right? glee publicly.
0: I mean, okay, okay, back to, okay, I'm gonna just gloss over this and go right back to the 51st state thing for a second. That will, it will only happen if we win the Senate And the new Democratic majority does away with the filibuster entirely. So if you are represented by Democratic senators, you need to be calling their offices now about the filibuster because they are reluctant to do it. And we just got to get it done. I mean, it's no longer I mean, I used to be like, I don't know about that, but we just got to get rid of the filibuster. And for those of you who don't know, the filibuster is where on most things it takes 60 votes to end debate in the Senate before you can vote on something that requires a simple majority. So, if as long as that's a thing, a lot of the things we want even if we have a slim majority in the in the Senate, we won't get Although, to be fair, the Republicans can't get everything they want in the Senate right now because of the filibusters. So, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. But let's talk about COVID-19, all right, because I think, um, you know, for a few months, it was the thing that everybody talked about the most. We watched – well, some of us at least watched the White House briefing on it every day. Um, uh, Governor Cuomo of New York just stopped doing daily briefings himself a week or two ago. But uh, it's really like he was he was like our knight in shining armor. Right. But um, but it's back with the vengeance. So it never really went away, but it's back in the news with the vengeance. Um, Cases are increasing in 22 states Um, here in California. Beaches are being closed specifically for the Fourth of July weekend. Fireworks. uh, That's in L.A. County. Firework displays are being banned specifically for the Fourth of July holiday weekend. Um, States are pausing or rolling back. They're opening up. Um, this is getting really scary. And the thing that scares, one of the things that scares me the most is, um, young asymptomatic carriers. You know, I just, um, one of my favorite things to watch when I don't want to be working is Nicole Wallace on MSNBC. And she does a thing at the end of her show where she talks about people who just died from coronavirus. And she talked today about a couple that was married for over 50 years. They were high school sweethearts and they got coronavirus at the same time. And, um, they went, went into the hospital at the same time. And the, oh, I'm going to cry. The, um, the hospital staff put them in the same room when they took a turn for the worse, and they both died at the same time holding hands. And they got it, because most likely because someone was an asymptomatic carrier, maybe passed it to another asymptomatic carrier, and then they got it from them. And that is why we do social distancing. That is why we wear masks. So there's your tea up. I'm misty-eyed. Let's talk about what, sh- what's, what should we be doing differently in this country right now.
3: I mean, I think back to March 3rd for me and, um, and I was in New York at the time when I, I had a feeling when all my jobs, um, I was working with NYU and with Morgan Stanley and they gave me a, um, they both gave me emails about shutting down indefinitely. And that's when I knew I was like, this is an opportunity for our, um, for this administration to um, really get aggressive with it quickly. And as we all know, this has not happened. And I think because we don't have the leadership showing how important it is, and it's been left to just individual choice, I really don't know how we're going to recover from this. I don't. And I am glued to it every single day. I have lost people as well. Um, I have had seen people affected by it. I went from one hot spot, New York, to, um, to now Florida being one of the epicenters here. And, you know, to make mask wearing a political statement is um, it's just stupid. It's just stupid.
0: It's selfish, you know. It's selfish and self-serving on the part of the president. Just like, you know, the news that's breaking right now about how he knew that the Russians were paying the Taliban bounty on American troops. It's becoming pretty clear that he knew, or at least his staff knew. And if if his staff knew and didn't tell him, it means they thought, you know what? He's not going to do the right thing about this. And if he did know, he didn't do the right thing about it. He only cares about himself. And if it costs American lives on the battlefield, that's okay for him. That's okay with him. And if it costs tens of hundreds of thousands of American lives to a virus on inside our own borders, that's okay with him. That's, that's our president. And, and I'm really, I don't understand how I really don't understand how you can look at the the facts on the ground and go, that's my president. But somehow he has a base of 30 something percent who stick with him no matter what. How is do I mean, who has to die that's close to them for them to get that he's bungled this thing? There is no
1: doubt about it. If you are listening to this, it is not up for debate with when it comes to Donald J. Trump. All roads lead to Putin. He has been taking all expense paid trips to Russia on the expense of the Russian government since the 1980s. He has investments there. He has money tied up with oligarchs there. He has a personal relationship with Putin that he has he has admitted to. And then when the presidential race happened in 2016, he denied. But the video evidence is there. All roads lead to Putin. Donald Trump is compromised. He is an enemy of our state. And I know the Mueller report was a thing of yesterday, but he also conspired with a foreign hostile hostile power to influence the outcome of an American election and will do so again. There is no... It is not surprising to me at all that Donald Trump did not act on this information, and it is not at all a question to me whether or not he knew. He definitely knew. The intelligence agencies in this country let him know, and he has time and time again shirked the information that he's received from intelligence because he doesn't care. With Donald Trump, all roads lead to Putin. End, stop, full stop, period. And that's what I'll
0: say. Okay, but do you think some people are positive? that if it looks really bad for him he's just going to resign. Do you think he might? <laughs>
2: no. 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 <laughs> no. You know, I, I I don't I don't have space and time for that. I don't have space and time for the people who are like if he loses he's not going to leave. The fucking marines will drag him out of the white house. Okay, I'm not concerned about whether or not he's going to physically walk his disgusting butt out of the people's house and back to the gold piece of shit tower in new york where he belongs i don't care
0: about what self. he
2: physically does or if he, you know i we, we can't have that argument donald trump is the biggest narcissist and egomaniac that we have ever seen and the reason why i cried on election night why alex cried at the javits center why tanya drank an entire bottle of champagne and possibly more i'm not going to judge you though it might be you know more than just that i don't know what your liquor cabinet looks like but listen the reason why we reacted the way that we reacted isn't because we're sore losers like the gop is going to try to paint us as being they think that we can't handle the fact that hillary clinton lost they that we can't handle that loss no it's because we fucking knew we knew that that this was going to happen we knew that hundreds of thousands of lives and blood of a hundred of hundreds of thousands of lives would be on his hands and he wouldn't care because he doesn't absorb how to care about anyone else and it right. makes me think about you know what it is to be an American isn't it that we care about each other that we have some kind of shared compassion and we're just not seeing it now because the person at the top is so selfish that he just wants to divide us for his own benefit.
0: Hundred percent, percent, and I will and I will direct you to the Columbia University study that found that if we had done implemented the right things a couple weeks earlier, when we when the administration knew that we should have and could have, we at least thirty six thousand lives should have been saved. At least, at least. Um, any more hot takes on this before we move on? you
1: know, it's not just the coronavirus deaths people. This is the latest, but people forget his inaction after Hurricane Maria led to oh thousands of death, deaths. People forget there was a shooting in Las Vegas and the biggest mass shooting in American history on American soil happened. And he he totally did fail to act on enacting any kind of gun reform legislation. This president is responsible for deaths way before coronavirus and his inaction is responsible for deaths way before coronavirus. This is just the most dramatic and the biggest number, but to be sure more Americans will die if, if Donald Trump is not out of office. And I'm sure of that.
3: I, you know, I mean, he comes from t- television, so the war language he's been using this whole time is good for ratings is good for his ratings.
0: Yeah. That's all he cares about. He thinks ratings are votes. I think he really thinks that. I really do think he thinks that. You know, can we just celebrate one positive thing, though, that happened this week? The last Please. state to have a Confederate battle flag in their state flag took it down. Mississippi is no longer going to have a Confederate battle, Confederate battle flag flying over its state house, flying in front of schools and public buildings across the state. I—, I, I, I I mean the okay. So here's the thing though. The only two requirements for the new design, according to the, leg- the legislation, are that a) it doesn't have the confederate battle flag. Yay. However, it does have to say, "In God We Trust," which is a whole nother thing. Uh, we don't have to get into that, but I just want to celebrate the last confederate battle flag coming down off of the state house. Mm.
3: I mean, can that be like riding on a unicorn, like having like a floating mane? In God We Trust on it i'm gonna throw that in as a
1: pitch well i think they should topple down the confederate statues in louisiana and replace them with statues of our national treasure and louisiana native britney spears
2: yes because her career lasted has lasted about six times longer than the confederacy did and i love seeing (laughs) (laughs) i love seeing all of the the memes of or the tweets of like what has lasted longer than the Confederacy? And we could probably just make an episode out of that because there are so many things that like the TV show Moonlighting, fantastic show if you haven't seen it, lasted longer than the Confederacy. Let's take down a statue of Robert E. Lee, put one up of Bruce Willis and Civil Shepherd.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love that. And civil shepherd, oh, also civil. You know, like she's the she's that add-on. She it's like that. It's like one of those things on Amazon that doesn't qualify for the minimum thirty-five dollars, but it is an add-on. If you do hit thirty-five dollars, That's civil shepherd. <laughs> I think civil um, comes first. Okay, I. Are you serious? Are you serious? Listen, Bruce Willis stars in the best Christmas movie ever made, and I'll let you figure out which which one that one is. Um, let's move on to um, uh, soap boxes. All right, so. Uh, You know, what? I'm going to do popcorn and magically choose Jonathan to go on your soapbox first.
2: (sighs) Okay, I'm I'm going through it. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm I'm feeling just a little fired up. Um, I'm big, you guys, on um, defunding the police. I'm really into this movement. I really feel like, you know, I'm I'm a cisgendered white man. And I, I can't imagine many of the experiences that have been had. Um, but I, I, I still have always felt this like deep distrust for the police throughout my life, and I just think that that comes from their abuse of power that we've seen for for decades. Um, we're seeing a lot of movement in defunding the police happening in little tiny steps. So we're seeing like L.A. taking 250 million and reallocating it. We're seeing New York making some efforts. All these efforts are just like tiny little people pleasers. And this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. So what I'm trying to say is that for everybody who's on board, with that with me, and I know it's a lot of people that I know and it's a lot of people that I don't who may be listening to this. Just remember that those little tiny things are, you know, progress is progress, but it's just the, the smallest step. So don't give up because this is going to be something that takes years. And if your elected officials are not listening to you, your mayors, specifically your city attorneys, uh, your district attorneys, vote them out we have an opportunity in LA to vote for George Gascon and get Jackie Lacey out. I am all about this. And if you have an opportunity that's similar, please fight for that and make sure that the elected officials who aren't listening are going to finally do something.
0: Mm, Awesome. Thank you. All right. Popcorn. Alex, what's on your soapbox? So if you want a bit of
1: juicy scoop about politics, some scandal, some espionage. Do I have a story for you coming right out of Irvine, <laughs> California? You think that this kind of shady backdoors politics happens only on the national level? No, no. In Irvine, California, we had that we have a mayor, Shea, uh, Christina Shea, conservative Republican. She's yeah. made some canter controversial anti Black Lives Matter statements. She, she was the only vote against. The Irvine City Council putting up the pride flag outside of their city hall, which really chaps my ass and has made me want to dedicate time into unseating her. Now, Christina Shea has an opponent who's running a Democrat whose name is Farah. Con. She's running, she's currently on the Irvine City Council. She's running to unseat Christina Shea as mayor in this, in Irvine, California, this November. Now, a little Facebook group called OC Moms for Truth popped up on June 25th, and it has all these anti-Con videos and just like, slamming her. Now, a little blog called The Liberal O.C. did an investigation into this Facebook group, O.C. Moms for Truth, and they researched the ads that were showing a Google number associated with the ads. So this investigator, his name, I'm going to give him some props, Dan Chmielewski, Dan Chmielewski from The Liberal O.C., dives into this phone number and finds out that it's a Google number that is, uh, he calls it to inquire about the ownership of the site, and it goes to a voicemail that has a phone number on the voicemail, and it's associated with a Hawaii-based phone number that's belonging to Mark Nugent. Mark Nugent is a candidate for the Irvine Unified School District's uh, school board in District 5, and so he cre- and he's a f- friend of Christina Shea. They're little Republican buddies. So he created this Facebook group trying to say he's oc moms for truth turns out it's actually mark nugent iusd district five candidate republican this just came out today and i wish it could become national news because it's just so juicy to me and uh he's a twice failed candidate for office in irvine he's running for iusd on a platform of having kids have bulletproof backpacks and armed guards to prevent school shootings uh So he wants to make schools prisons not schools uh, and he's got like really offensive social media stuff. He ran for city council in 2018 as a Republican and lost. He is just a total shitbag. So my soapbox today is Mark Nugent, and I really hope this story gets a lot of attention because it's just so scandalous to me. And uh, I went onto the Facebook page OC Moms for Truth after I read this, and I was like, "So Mark Nugent, how's this Facebook page going? Like, if I I grew up in Irvine, California, and if, if I had if it was up to me, I wouldn't let my kids anywhere near you." And Whoever is running this Facebook page, Mark Nugent, deleted the comment and then blocked me from the Facebook page. So someone's guilty. And that, my Amazing. friends, is my soapbox of
2: the week. Thank you
1: so
0: much for that. Yeah, you're going to uh, like this drama. I want to go to Irvine now. Let's get down there. Let's do the work. Come on. They've got that mall with the Ferris wheel. Let's do it. <laughs> um <laughs> uh but, all right, let's popcorn to Tanya. What's on your soapbox? Oh my
3: goodness, how do I even follow that? That sounds <laughs> wow. I'm gonna definitely go into a deep dive. Um my soapbox is um being always the brown girl in the room. <laughs> um uh one of my, um, I live in two spaces. I live in the theater maker world and I live in the filmmaker world. Um, and there has been a lot of hot talks about um, not only uh, the movements, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and um, everything that you're seeing and um, uh, in in all the cities, but filmmakers of color are not telling their stories. So there's been a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, Filmmakers who uh, documented documentary filmmakers who have gone ahead and and gone ahead and started filming the Black Lives Matter movement, but they're not people of color. And so one of my groups, Brown Girl Doc Mafia, has made a statement along with uh, many institutions like Sundance um, to advocate for those stories to be told by the people of that community. Along with the the theater community has also put out a statement, um, which you can find on We See You W.A.T., which is a statement saying that we see you, white American theater, and you need to change your ways. So that has been my 110% every single waking moment um, modus operandi, as you can say. Because I think it's important for us to tell our stories, for us to go ahead and be the movers and shakers and not be the token in these um in these spaces.
0: Mmm. Goodness. All right. These are some good soapboxes. We should like I don't know, I was gonna make a stupid joke about like, you know, a so- soapbox in the month club. I'm sorry for even trying. <laughs> so my um my soapbox is um you, if you're not familiar with them, it's a publication by Condon Aston. and it's it's a it's, it's a queer publication, and they um, put out some numbers that um, blew my mind, and I'm just going to just okay. So check this out: Trump's margin of victory in Florida was 114,000 votes. Do you know how many LGBTQ non-voters there were in 2016 in Florida? Brace yourselves, 358,000. So. So if the queers had shown up in Pennsylvania, in Florida, and in Michigan, those are all states where the number of, of non-voting LGBTQ people far outpaces margin of victory, Hillary Clinton would be in the White House right meow. And I did say meow. That wasn't like an editor, you know, like a sound thing. Right meow. So look, queering the vote is important. It's not, I mean, we're paying a lot of attention to a lot of groups that whose vote we need to get out right now. But look, if you're an LGBTQ person or ally, not only do you need to make sure that you are registered to vote wherever you live, but you need to make sure that your queer and queer allied friends are too, because it looks like queer people are staying home. It's not like we got marriage and now we're done. We need to be in this fight for the long haul, because not only do we have more things to win, but we have more things to win for not just ourselves, but other people, other members of our community, our, our neighbors um uh, the people we love and the people we don't even know but deserve our support so um so queer folks i want you to know that if you don't vote this fall i'm coming for you i got your addresses i'm kind of like i've got cerebro but you know instead of for mutants you know like from x-men the thing that that the professor x puts on and he can see all the mutants i've got that but instead of mutants it's for the gays so i'm seeing you i want you to know that's my soapbox um hashtag queer the vote Yes, clear the vote. Um, So before we go, uh, I owe Tanya an apology because I did not read the awesome blurb you sent me about you. So I'm going to read it and I'm going to ask you to talk about it. So Tanya, for those of you who don't know, is an award winning actress, writer, filmmaker and arts activist. She has been on Orange is the New Black, Madam Secretary, Jessica Jones, among many other things. But one of the things that I really that I just that blows me away about her, her independent film um it has been in over 20 festivals around the world and most uh, m- her films have been in over 20 festivals around the world including one of the m- the best indie short films i've ever seen called Veronica Veronica it's a dramedy about um identity and um and and can you just and it it had a um it had a sold out LA premiere at the Chinese theater in Hollywood but but Tanya can you just talk for a second about Veronica tell us a little bit about it because i think it's really powerful
3: yeah uh, veronica was um was literally written out of the need to explore my personal identity. Um, and, um, and I, uh, with my, my co-creator, Rako um we ended up really diving into what it meant to be a woman, a Latinx woman. And, um, and we explored it through the eyes of what if she decided she wanted to be a Somebody else, but that somebody else existed, and um, and we ended up also using a. Um, I think at that time when we filmed it, it was uh, a large trans uh, community that we um, we placed it in the the setting of an identity um, uh, support group, and um, it it played so well because it really asked the question of what identity was, and how um, both uh, somebody who is a cis, uh, cis Latinx woman can um, can really ask the question, "What does it mean to be me?"
0: I just, well, um, I, I don't think Veronica is publicly viewable yet, is it? No, it's not. All right, but as soon as it is, watch. Uh, in fact, let's let's say this. And as soon as it is, I know you're going to tweet about it and post it on Instagram. So, where can people find you, Tanya, on the interwebs?
3: I mean, it's easy. <laughs> It's uh, my website is tanyaperez.nyc. I'm on Instagram as rules and also at Twitter at perez
0: Rules with a Z, right?
3: Yes. with Tanya a Z.
0: perez <laughs> rules. <laughs> I know. Yes. <laughs> Tanya, thank you so much for joining us this week. You are uh, a gem. You are a credit to our species. And I'm just so glad that you could make the time on East Coast time uh, in the stormy, rainy Florida of it all to join us. So thank you so much for being here. This has been The Read Down. I'm Ryan Basham. My co-hosts are Alex Mohajer and Jonathan Welch. This podcast is brought to you by the Snowmall Democratic Club. You can join us for only $25 a year, not a month, a year, at StonewallDims.org forward slash join. And please, if you haven't already, find us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe, rate, and review. That stuff really makes a huge difference. It helps us reach people. And we're using this podcast to what? Hashtag Queer the Vote. Reach our people and our people's allies and get them involved in the process. So if you haven't already, please rate, subscribe, and all that jazz thank you for joining us this week we will be back next week with um some more hot takes some more soapboxes and maybe i'll work out my joke about this soapbox in the month club thanks for joining us have a great day